1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. We've been looking at the civil law for the Israelites as God had laid out in Leviticus. We saw that the people were to live holy lives just as God is holy. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 22. Beginning in chapter 21, we move to a new section where God gave Moses
0: instructions for the priests to observe in their service to the Lord there in the tabernacle. So some special rules for them. Well, God continues those instructions in chapter 22, many of which we've actually already studied in the earlier in Exodus and Leviticus. And and sometimes as you go through this stuff, maybe you've done this as you've gone through the law. You've wondered, why does he repeat the same things over and over again? Well, God repeats things because they're important and he doesn't want his people to forget them. You ever had that happen where you show up, you know, at a service and, and it's not like you heard anything brand new. It's not like you thought, I never knew, you know, I never knew Matthew was in the Bible. You know, that's not usually the case, but there's something that's kind of fresh again. Something that grabs your heart again that you realize I'm not really walking in that lately and you recommit yourself to it. And so as we study the meticulous nature of how the priests were to handle the offerings tonight, you know, may we see how all God's instructions All the meticulousness of them and the repetition points forward because there was going to be a perfect sacrifice of the Messiah coming. So chapter 22, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, so the priests here, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they profane not my holy name in those things, which they hallow unto me, for I am the Lord. We're going to find out here. He makes a a general prohibition to them where he says, Listen, they're not just to approach the service at my altar like anything else they do. When I first started pastoring, the fear of God was upon me. Every word that came out of my mouth, I thought, I am going to be judged. Because the Bible says, for those that are teachers, there's a greater responsibility, a greater judgment. I was like that. But I remembered as I grew more comfortable with pulpit ministry and talking to people, I still wanted to make sure I never ever got up here and thought I could just say whatever I wanted to. And I take this very seriously because it is, it's the Lord's word. It's not like any other task. And whatever the task is that God's called you to do, it's the same thing. It's not like any other task. When you go to work, it's not just to punch in. It's something special. It's something that God's called you to that is unique, that only you can do. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, anybody can do my job. Not the way you do it and not with the calling God's put upon your life. You have a unique call from God. The word here actually to separate yourself from the holy things, it literally means to devote yourself to those holy things. So he says, when you get up there to serve in the tabernacle and you're going to take this food that has been offered to me, he says, you don't treat it just like any other meal. It's going to be special. You need to devote yourself to it because I want to make sure you don't profane or make my name common like everything else. I'm a brand name. I'm not the generic is what the Lord's saying. In those things which they hallow unto me, the things that the people devote to me, I want you to be devoted with those things. So he says, "Say to Aaron, and his sons, verse three, whosoever he be of all your seed among your generations that goes unto the holy things, which the children of Israel will bring to the Lord, hallow unto the Lord. But if he has his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. If he comes in and he's got some uncleanness, whether it's a moral uncleanness, or as we've been studying throughout Leviticus, a ritual ceremonial uncleanness, he says, I'm going to cut him off. And of course, if you've ever heard the story before, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, what would they do? They would tie a rope around his ankle. What they had at the bottom of his robes were these bells and these little puff balls. They were supposed to be pomegranates. And the bells would jingle against the little puff balls. When you go in there and they heard the jingling, everything is okay. But if all of a sudden they heard a quick jangle and nothing, they started tugging on the rope because that meant he had gone in there unworthily and he, he was dead. They went in there fear and trembling to make sure they were their heart was right before the Lord. So he says, listen, do not come in if anything is off. Some of those things are consistent of what we find here, verse four. What mansoever of the seed of Aaron is a leper or has a running issue. In other words, he's got a oozing sore. I won't go into that again. That was a fun Bible study. <laughs> If he's that, a leper, or he's got this uncleanness problem, he cannot eat of the holy things until it's fixed, until he's clean. Then whosoever touches anything that is unclean by the dead, in other words, that would make you ceremonially unclean, or a man whose seed goes from him, or whosoever touches any creeping thing, in other words, an unclean animal, whereby he may be made unclean, or of a man of whom he may take uncleanness, in other words, somebody else is unclean and you touch him, whatsoever uncleanness he has, the soul which has touched any such shall be unclean until the evening, and he shall not eat of the holy food that's in there unless he washes his flesh. With water. But when the sun goes down, it's a new day. Remember, their day starts at six p.m. When the sun goes down, verse 7, he shall be clean, and then afterward he can go back into the tabernacle, eat the holy things, because it's his food. He doesn't have to starve. Some more things, that which dies of itself, that would make him unclean. Or it's been killed by beasts, torn with beast, he shall not eat to defile himself therewith. With. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep mine ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die therefore if they profane it. Because I the Lord do sanctify them or set them apart. Now I'm not going to go over all this stuff because we covered it already in other bible studies in detail. So now we come down into verse 10. Those are the rules for if they can do their job or not. Now in verse 10, we get rules for who can eat the sacrificial food. Verse 10, there shall no stranger or foreigner, non-Israeli, eat of that holy thing. A sojourner of the priest or a hired servant shall not eat of those holy things. In other words, if they're helping out with something though, they're not of the priestly family, they can't eat the food. It's just for them. But, verse 11, if the priest buy any soul with his money, in other words, if he takes an indentured servant, well, then he shall eat of it. And he that is born in his house, they shall eat of his meat. In other words, if he comes into his home and he's living there and he's an indentured servant, then at that point in time, that means he's going to go ahead and and he can eat of the food because he's kind of part of the family at that time. Verse 12. This is a complicated situation. If the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger, foreigner, well, then she's no longer part of the priest's family, so she may not eat of the offering of the holy things. Verse 13, but if the priest's daughter be a widow, her husband dies, or she's divorced and she has no children, and she returns unto her father's house like it was when she was in her youth, well, then she can eat of her father's food again, but there shall no stranger eat thereof. In other words, no foreigner, no one who's not part of the family can come in and eat of the the priestly food. Verse 14, what happens if you eat it by mistake? state, because he might just wander by and grab something off the barbecue and eat it, and it turns out it was dedicated to the Lord. And if a man eat of the holy things unwittingly, it says, then he shall put the fifth part thereto unto it. So whatever you took, you need to reimburse the priests and then add 20% more. If you ever see a plate that says, Mark, Pastor, Will, you can have it, but it better be twenty percent more when you return it. I had a few times when I first got here, I had some food I would bring. I'd bring my lunch, and I would go to eat it, and it would be gone. Because we had a school that met here. That wasn't part of our church. We had a school that met here, and I think, you know, some of the teachers were like, oh, that looks good. So I put a little note, and I said, if you're hungry, it's okay for you to eat it, but this is my lunch. Could you please notify the front desk before lunchtime so I know I need to go get something else, and I'm not counting on eating it. No one ever gave it back with 20% more. I'm not a priest, so verse 15, and they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer unto the Lord. Again, a reiteration, don't make them common. Or suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat their holy things. So a reiteration of the first nine verses, no disobedience when you go in. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Now, verse 17, we get to the instructions on what kind of sacrifices they could bring to the Lord. This is important because the priest would have to know what he would have to look for. And this is really going to be the bulk of our study tonight. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and saying to them, whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers, a foreigner living in Israel, and he wants to offer his oblation, his sacrifice for his, all his vows and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. He says, "'You shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beaves or of the sheep or of the goats.'" So two rules. Remember, there was three free will offerings and two compulsory offerings. If you had sinned, that was compulsory. You had to bring an offering. If you had sinned, which means you did it by mistake, you had to bring an offering. If you trespassed, which means you knew what you were doing and did it anyway, you had to bring an offering that too. But if it was just a free will offering, just because you loved God or just because you want to hang out with him or because you want to dedicate a period of your life to serve him, he says there's two requirements. The offering has to be without blemish, which means it needs to have no physical defect and it needs to be of your own free will. Those were the two requirements. No one could coerce you, had to be your choice. That's interesting because sometimes church and even maybe you've experienced church leaders who are very heavy handed and they put a lot of pressure on you. I hope I'm never that way to any of you here. I try to be extremely low pressure. In fact, I'm probably too low pressure at times uh, because I know what that can be like to be a burden, to feel the pressure and stuff. And God doesn't want any of our service to him to be a burden. He wants it to be something we do because we love him. We get down here to verse 20 and he's going to explain in more detail what disqualified an offering. But whatsoever has a blemish, a physical defect is what that word means, that you shall not offer. It shall not be acceptable for you. So the priest, if you find him and you see he's missing, you know, a leg, sorry, you got to go bring another one. Verse 21 and whosoever offers a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep, well, it shall be perfect to be accepted, there shall be no blemish therein, blind or broken or maimed or having a when. Uh, a when would mean like an, a running ulcer or a sore. In other words, you know, you can't go out there and go, hey, Betsy, what's wrong? And the lamb's going, eh, eh, eh. and you're going to come by and check him out. And you're all oh, Betsy. Oh, Betsy, what's going on? Ah, you're getting old. Time to take you to the tabernacle. No, I mean, that's not how that works. You know, sorry, Betsy, but I had an argument with the wife today, and you're in. That's not how it works. You had to be pick one that didn't have any of those issues. Or scurvy. You know, I can't bring one with scurvy. Or scabbed. You shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them unto the altar of the Lord. Verse 23, either a bullock or a lamb that has anything superfluous or lacking in his parts. If he's got an extra leg, can't bring him. Missing a leg, can't bring him. That you may offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow, it shall not be accepted. So you could bring it just if you want to hang out with the Lord, just to, to fellowship with him, but not if it was for a promise you're going to keep to the Lord. Verse 24, you shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised, or crushed, or broken, or cut. If you injured them, you can't think to yourself, well, I can't get anything good out of them. I'll give them to the Lord. I always tell the joke about how there are times when people say, oh, the fridge isn't working. Let's donate it to the church. Verse 25, neither from a stranger's hand shall you offer the bread of your God of any of these. In other words, the same rules apply to foreigners who want to worship the Lord as it does to Israelis who want to worship the Lord. They need to be without blemish because their corruption is in them. In other words, there's evidence of the fall in them. By the fact that they're sick or they're missing something, it's, that's not the way God created things in the garden. It's not the way he created things in perfection, and you can't bring it to a perfect God, therefore, because it's a reminder of sin. And blemishes are in them. They shall not be accepted for you. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, When a bullock or a sheep or a goat is brought forth, then it shall be seven days under the dam, which means under its mom's care, you can't you can't come out and then you, you offer him because you think well he looks a little scrawny. You got to wait seven days and then on the eighth day from thenceforth it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So whether it be a cow or a ewe you shall not kill it and her young both in one day. So I don't know why God particularly had that rule, but being an animal lover I don't I can see why. So I mean kill mom and all her litter in one day. Let's get it done with. That, God says no don't do that. I don't want that. Verse twenty nine. And when you will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of the Lord, here's the reminders again, you will offer it at your own will. And then a reminder again, on the same day, it shall be eaten up, no leftovers. You shall leave none of it until the morrow, for I am the Lord. Therefore, verse 31, shall you keep my commandments and do them, I am the Lord. Neither shall you profane my holy name. You won't make it like any other name out there. But I will be hallowed among the children of Israel, because I am the Lord which has hallowed you. You're going to treat me differently because I'm treating you differently. That The Lord which will hallow you and that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. What's the point? Well, you know, when we come to Passion Week, what do we usually focus on? Jesus' death, Good Friday, and his resurrection, right, on Sunday. That's usually what we focus on when we come to Passion Week. And as a result, we can easily forget what happened today, which was the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, heralded by those praises, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? We could so easily forget about that. The reason that's important that we remember that's how Passion Week starts is because Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem was the culmination of a perfect life. Listen, Jesus couldn't just come and say, okay, I've made it past the seventh day, put me up on the cross and kill me and then be done with and we're all fixed, right? No, 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 no. See, he had to live a life 33 years out in front of us so all of us could examine him. We could all look and say and find no blemish in him, no blemish, whether it was physical, emotional, any of those things, no blemish at all, that we would see that he was the perfect sinless son of God. See, because without the perfect life of Jesus, there is no sacrificial death and no resurrection that follows because God wouldn't have been able to accept the offering. The Bible says that he was raised for our justification. The fact that he rose from the dead proved that God accepted the offering, which proved that his death paid the price. But the only way you can get to that place is if there was a perfect offering. If he's not perfect, then there's nothing to do. So that moment today, on this day, 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus had to ride in. That's why he said, if no one else cries it out, the very rocks have to declare it. They will declare it. And you can imagine what that would be, the first rock song. Jesus had to be perfect to be the perfect sacrifice. And so his life, that triumphant entry is so important when he comes in and he's, he's heralded as he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He's here. The Messiah has come. The perfect lamb of God has been examined and found to be without blemish. And now he can be offered. And so we see it was just a few days later that things started to turn against Jesus there in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders, they arrested him and tried him and then eventually brought him before Pontius Pilate who tried to release him. But the Jews said, no, we'll not have this man to rule over us. And so Jesus took up the cross and went to Golgotha and then died for our sins. There we cried out the famous words, the same chapter in scripture, which says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The same chapter, which says, Hosanna, save now. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Reminding them of all that was written there. I am who I said I was. I am who you were singing about. But there's more to it. I came to die. It's interesting. When a king was riding a donkey, he knew it was peacetime. When he was riding a horse, he knew it was wartime. And so Jesus came the first time as the Prince of Peace, come to make peace between us and God. It was the olive branch, so to speak, extended to the world, saying, I don't want you to be separated from me. I want to make peace with you. Here I am, come to make the deal, to seal the deal, the perfect Lamb of God. Now, next time he's coming back, what's he going to be riding? A white horse to come and make war. And, you know, woe to those who will stand against him that time, because they can make signs that say, oh, he claimed to be king of the Jews. They can mock, they can spit, they can do all they want, but it's going to be Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark on them when that day comes. The Bible says he's going to speak, and they're going to melt with fervent heat, so much so that the blood flows to the horse's bridles. Crazy, crazy time that men will turn their hearts away from God. It's not just man's testimony of examining him for 33 years. We see God's testimony in all of the New Testament. Look at Mark chapter 1, with verses 9 through 11. And you're probably familiar with these verses. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And here it is. There came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am what? Well, please, I have observed your life for 30 years, Son, You are a lamb without blemish. No blemishes on your record. You're in one, I'm well pleased. Look at Mark chapter nine. Jesus, at that point then, enters his ministry. He's driven into the wilderness, tempted of Satan, emerges victorious, and then he enters into his ministry. And what is God's estimation of his ministry? In Mark chapter nine, here on the Mount of Transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, And he led them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was, well, we'll explains here. Verse 3 His raiment became shining, his clothes became white. We see him like this in Revelation exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. I think Mark's trying to make a point here. And there appeared unto them Elijah and with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter's thinking, This is an awesome moment. And he said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Yeah, duh, Peter. Let us make three tents, three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we'll just, we'll start taking over the world right from here. For you knew not what to say. <laughs> and he was afraid. They were all afraid. They were terrified. But there was a cloud that overshadowed them, verse 7. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, we know from another gospel, actually, the Lord interrupts him, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Same thing, listen to him. This is the one without blemish. I have looked not just at his life, I've looked at his ministry. He had greater responsibility now. He is a lamb without blemish. You don't need to turn there, but in Psalm 110, the famous prophecy of how the Messiah would be both priest, king, and judge. We see in verse 4 that the Lord has sworn, so God made an oath, and he will not change his mind, referring to the Messiah, that he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's kind of a weird thing. Melchizedek's the guy in the Old Testament who, when Abraham had fought against the group, a coalition of kings to rescue his nephew Lot, he came back victorious from the battle, and he brought offerings to Melchizedek, who was the priest of the Most High God. He shows up, takes an offering, took a tithe, and then he left. Not uh, like most preachers, but he took an offering and then he was gone, you know? Itinerant preachers, I guess you could say. But the Bible says he blessed Abraham, and then we don't ever hear from him again until you get to Psalm 110. And then we hear about it again here in Hebrews all throughout the book. Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 7 because I want to look and examine here what the significance of that statement is. I'm going to read from verse 11 because I think it'll give us a little context, and then I'll start commenting when we get to verse 25. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, what we were just studying in Leviticus 22, for under it, the people received the law. If our perfection came from them, then what further need was there for another priest who should arrive after a different order, the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, which it is now, because Jesus is not a priest after the Levitical priesthood, he's after the order of Melchizedek. Then there is also made of necessity a change of the law, a change of the covenant. For he of whom these things are spoken of, Jesus, Pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Nobody from the tribe of Judah, Jesus' tribe, ever served in the tabernacle. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the likeness of Melchizedek, there arise another priest. It's clear that another priest is coming but won't be a Levite. He'll be like Melchizedek who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. And here he quotes Psalm 110. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily or truly a disannulling, a doing away of the commandment going before the Levitical ones because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Why? Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Jesus did by the which we now draw near unto God. You couldn't do that as a non-Levite. You couldn't do that as a non-priest back then. But now the Bible says we're a kingdom of priests, right? So now we can draw near to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, because those Old Testament priests, verse 21, they were made priests without an oath. But this one, Jesus, he was made with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, won't change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, you know, Aaron's descendants. It had to be new ones. And it says here, because they died. They were not allowed to continue because of the reason of death. But this man, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He's always our high priest. So verse 25, here we go. Wherefore, because he's our perfect high priest, And he could bring perfection to us. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. Was it Billy Sunday who said he's able to save them to the guttermost? He could save anybody, right? He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, not through the old Levitical priesthood, seeing that he's ever living to make intercession for them. And here it is. For such a high priest became us, was the right fit for us. That's what the word became means. He fits God's requirements, ends God's love perfectly, unlike those Old Testament sacrifices. And here it is. Who is holy? King James says, harmless, thirdly, undefiled, fourthly, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily, as those high priests did, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. Jesus didn't have any sin to offer. For this he did once when he offered up himself for the people, is what it means there. It doesn't say for the people, but that's what it means. For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity or weakness. But the word of the oath, the, the promise from Psalm 110, 4, which was after the law, It makes the son who is consecrated, he's our high priest forever. So what I want to focus in on here is these four things. First, it mentions that he was holy. The word there means to be morally pure or to be divine in contrast to human, to be someone who is completely dedicated to God. And as we look at Jesus's life, isn't that what he was? So he fits. He's our perfect sacrifice. He was holy. Secondly, King James says he was harmless. What harmless means, faultless, and faultless to the point of having no guile. Webster's defines guile as he had no slyness or craftiness. In other words, Jesus had no bad motive. Sometimes we can put on a good show on the outside and we do the right things, but inside we're thinking, I wish I could get them in a dark alley. Jesus never thought that way. Never. He never had a bad motive. Never. Can you even imagine that? Like what life would be like like that? I I battle with wrong motives all the time. Many times we have to be encouraged by the scripture where the Lord says, don't let your heart condemn you because God knows all things and he's greater than your heart. Thank you because, man, my heart can find a lot of stuff there. Every time it seems you grow and the Lord just pulls back another layer and you're like, ah, what was that? I didn't even know that was there. But Jesus, none of that was there. You could have done as thorough a search as possible and you wouldn't have found any blemish at all. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God inside and out. Next, it mentioned that he was undefiled. And the word here means untainted or ritually pure. You know, remember Jesus's explanation to John of why he needed to be baptized? Remember he came to him and John's like, why am I baptizing you? You should be baptizing me. You're the son of God. God's word takes on even more significance now. When we read about this in Leviticus, about all the ritual purities, Jesus went through it all. He did exactly what we need to do according to the law to be perfectly clean, ritually. He did it all. He didn't violate any of it. So he's also not just morally pure, not just motively pure, but he's also ritually pure and therefore 100% qualified to be our perfect sacrifice by the Father. And because of that, the last point, he stands out. It says here that he is separate from sinners. The word there means to be isolated in his own place. As a result of his life, Jesus stands alone in all creation as a perfect man. And because of that, it mentions that he here, he is made higher than the heavens. He is the only one who could have waltzed into heaven. When he stood there on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's glorified, and what did God say? Well, no, son, I mean, you know, you you, you had that bad attitude with your mom once, so no, you can't come right in. No, he said, this is my beloved son. He did it. He did everything I've required of man. If he wanted to waltz into heaven right now, he could. But of course, that's not the end. He didn't just come to live a perfect life. See, that's, that's the other side of the problem. If we just focus only on the cross and the resurrection, we forget about the fact that what made the cross possible, is perfect life. But if we just look at Jesus as a good man or a good teacher or this nice guy, we should follow his example. Then we miss the whole point of why he came, which was to be our perfect sacrifice, to die for our sins.
1: If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at four zero seven five two three zero eight zero zero during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.